This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Rasland, today we have the returns of. He is a producer on the morning run for BFM, and he is Simway Boone. Hi. Hi, there's him. And she is, oh, I always get this wrong. I'll, I'll say her name first, and then she's going to say what it is that she, she does. She does so many things. She is Pauline Fan, and tell us what you do, Pauline. Well, as you like to say, I'm the CEO of Fusaka, which I'm not actually. I'm the creative director of Fusaka, but I'm also a writer, translator, and the director of the Georgetown Literary Festival. And uh, later on, we will talk a little about the upcoming Georgetown Literary Festival. I'm sure I won't forget, but if I do, you must remind me. So uh, our three topics this week will be, topic number one is problematic artists. Topic number two is uh, listening in lockdown, listening to music in lockdown. And finally, topic number three is, uh, at what age do you become nostalgic? And by the way, folks, that's not my topic. That's Sims. So with topic number one, problematic artists. It's something I think that we face increasingly with this social media age well we come across artists who well they're not supposed to like anymore so i'm gonna talk about a young hip happening artist by the name of richard wagner he wrote operas back in the mid 1800s german fella and i really really love the music of richard wagner he's so do i yes. yeah you're very german pauline so you <laughs> <laughs> not in everything but yes. well, you could actually understand the operas in their original German, which I can't. And um, I, I mean, I think that he's been really important in in making me who I am. Um, and yet, I concede, he was one of the most horrible human beings that ever did live. I think on more than one occasion, he would go and live with a, a patron. Somebody was going to pay for him to sit there and write his operas. And he would end up sleeping with the wife, uh, running off with the wife, and still taking the money. And he said the most terrible things about Jewish people, even though his, some of his most important musical collaborators were Jewish. I don't know what they thought about what he said. And, and he, he, the women in his life loved him, but he was awful to them. He just ab literally abandoned them in the snow. So that's Richard Wagner, terrible human being. I mean, but I also love John Lennon. And uh, John Lennon was, was, people were terrified of his, um, the terrible things that he would, the cutting things that he would say. And he basically abandoned his wife and kid. And then he went and wrote Imagine and All You Need Is Love. And he was pretty awful, really. So, and yeah, I love John Lennon. And you, you, you can't persuade me to let go of him. But I'm wondering, um, what, what do we do? Sure, I mean, is it okay? I mean, sure, it's no big deal if they're really horrible people and they're in a pre-social media age. Isn't it okay? Sim, you're a young guy. I, for me, it's, it's complicated. I think there's no one way about it. It's very case by case in a sense where like okay we, we start with like why is the artist problematic right okay and if the artist is problematic at a level where it harms society and everyone around you you know then you have to think about like okay so when you continue to support and listen to the artist or you know buy the paintings or watch the movies and all does the contribution you make kind of like add on to whatever harm that person is doing so if they say if the, the artist is a racist but also at the same time, he is also actively promoting a racist agenda or a kind of like a violent agenda. Then, you know, I would have an issue about kind of like financially supporting that person by listening to the music, consuming the products and all, you know. 
So I, I don't know if like I would have a problem with myself or someone else listening to Wagner. Uh, it's a problem if someone admires Wagner and then also admires what he did. You know, you gotta, you gotta like, yeah, you gotta figure out how to separate the art, the creation and the creator. I mean, we're all adults here, you know, it's not kind of, it's not so easy, like, you know, one plus one is two, you know, you, you, you should be mature enough to appreciate the art and also disassociate with the artist. But again, for me, it also doesn't mean that it's just the one way about it, you know. It's a very loaded question and it's a very different way to deal with it. I think at the end of the day, you just have to ask yourself like, you know, okay, I like this song, I like this painting, I like this movie and all, but how does it define me as a person and why do I like it? If it's just like a one-hit wonder kind of song, like, you know, I mean, there'll always be another one-hit wonder. So, you know, if I'm not attached to the music in any way, then why? And then I don't need to bother about listening to it again. I can always move on, you know. Okay. But if it's a piece of music that has stayed with me that I would see maybe on a stand so got through like a really tough time and now I'm finding out that the artist has a problem. You know, when you say you listen to the song, you're not saying that like, I, I don't care this musician is a bad person I, I will still support it's not that you're saying that whatever he created or she created at that time helped me through something and I'm still supporting it because of that specific memory it's like a it's like having a bad dream you know like you can't erase the bad dream you just had it you experienced it and you move on but don't let it define you as a person I mean people that define their life by like a lyric or an art picture movie I mean that's a very two-dimensional person okay all right, bit of a cop-out answer, I'm afraid, there from Sim. Uh, <laughs> it's a cop-out situation. There's no real, real way to do it. Like, okay. I love the Smiths, but, you know, I don't know what to do about Morisela. Yeah, yeah, no, cancel culture. Oh, yeah, please. no, I love the Smiths, too. And I like Wagner, too, for sure. I mean, I, of course, he was problematic, and but so many of them were, Cam. I mean, I think if we go back through the composers of German composers themselves, and then if you go to European composers, or just composers... In general, I mean, how many should we stop listening to if we were going to judge all of them by what kind of people they were? I think also Sim is right to the extent that if that is something of concern to us, let's look at uh, what are they promoting? Do they have an agenda? I mean, was his music racist or was he racist as a person? For sure. He was problematic, misogynist, everything. All of those horrible things that you mentioned, Cam. But was his music that way as well? I don't know. I mean, it was. I think he created something um, of genius in spite of who he was, not because of who he was and what, not because of his attitudes towards the world and to, and to people. But having said that, I think there's also, I think we've become so pure and Puritan in this age as well, in this age of social media um, judging and, and cancel culture and all of that. I mean, of course there are people who are problematic, but I do think that that condemning wholesale the work of someone because you don't agree with certain principles. I mean, of course, like Sim said, I think there's, you do have to go by case by case basis. There are some people who are absolutely, I think, on the extreme of uh, the horribleness. I think you have to draw a line. You know, you can't tell someone to stop enjoying something that they've already enjoyed or they want to enjoy it just because you don't agree or something uh, with whatever the artist did or everything you know okay so your um, your your line is um a, a clear separation between the artist and the art yeah that but also at a personal level because if it's between me and the music and me in the car driving and listening to it you know okay you know if it's me in my room looking at a painting that i already own okay if me in my room watching the show is okay but if i'm using it to promote to help someone else make money to kind of like contribute to a larger problem then that's problematic okay so justice sim says uh not guilty 
uh, while he privately, on his own, listens, continues to listen to Morrissey, the new Morrissey albums as well. <laughs> and uh, a Justice uh, fan, what, what is your judgment? I, I don't think I have a firm judgment in any case. I think it is um, very much sort of case by case. And also, I don't think we can judge historical figures maybe in the same way that we judge contemporary figures. You know, I think certainly today, if yeah, if somebody like Michael Jackson was doing the things he did and we knew about it and it was out there in the open, I'm sure we would, the world would have reacted differently and perhaps, hopefully, it may have influenced him as well. But I also think someone like, someone like Michael Jackson compared to someone like Wagner, for example, also existed in very different um, environments in terms of musical environments and commercial environments. And so, and there's this whole, what Adorno calls the culture industry, this whole culture industry that has developed um, commercially um, in the West and now globally, of course. It also has a huge influence on, on the way people behave, I think. And, and that kind of celebrity culture, um, maybe perhaps 20th century celebrity culture. Wagner, of course, was a kind of adulated celebrity on his own in, the, in his day, but it's quite different. I think not the same kind of global reach and not the same kind of commercial success. Um, I think those things also add to what people think they can get away with. I mean, I, I do think that um, people like Michael Jackson also, not to say he was a victim, but I think, I think that kind of um, relating to yourself can also make you very sick. You know, that kind of um, not knowing it can contribute to something like schizophrenia, for sure, you know, being a celebrity at a very young age, all kinds of things. And so there's all kinds of psychological problems that I think um, also need to be unpacked of the way things like celebrity culture even affect the individual. And definitely many people are screwed up, partly because they think they have the kind of, that they're in a kind of special category of human being who can get away with things that other people can't, that they're entitled to certain actions that, that shouldn't be judged or... Um, or be held to the same kind of values as the rest of humanity. I mean, there's all kinds of things I think um, we can look at. Mm. Well, you know, being a celebrity, you are taking on a job where you are going to be held accountable no matter what you have done. You know, yeah, okay, maybe when you were younger, you made a mistake. And yeah, you know, some people will say that, you know, you shouldn't bring this up because, uh, you know, it's, it's mean or whatever. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, celebrities are really rich. They're really powerful. You know, you can afford therapy. You can afford a lot of help. You know, I mean, if I was going to be an A-list star, but I have, you know, pr a problematic past, you know, I would, you know, I would find a way to either, not to say erase that part, but to correct it, you know, like, you know that you're going to be in the limelight already. So you yeah. should think back and, you know, mm -hmm. don't, don't go into it and expect that, like, you will never be held accountable or you'll never come out. Maybe it doesn't, but if it does, you know, what are you going to do? You can't at that moment be like, I'm sorry, why is everyone being so mean to me? I was young, you know, like, no, 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 you, 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 you're rich and powerful. You can do something about it that a normal person can't do. So yeah. sympathy level I usually have is different, you know. But I'm not yeah. saying that the problem is not problematic. Yeah. Problems still right. exist. But yeah, people sure. that say you should protect celebrities at that level. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's a difference. Now. No, no, for sure. Okay. I well, don't think uh, they should be protected either. I just yeah. think, yeah. But what about Cam? What about Judge Cam? What do you <laughs> The deciding vote. Uh, who are we judging again? Michael Jackson. But a, a, lot of, <laughs> oh, a lot of people love Michael Jackson, and I wouldn't want to ever <laughs> get in their way. So... Uh, so no, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. But I mean, I, I I have to turn a blind eye to certain things that David Bowie did, and um, mm, mm -mm. and you, you, I mean, you can't take David Bowie away from me. No, no, absolutely not. Me too. Yeah. But no. but I you know, but I also do have to. <laughs> you know. Anyway, so that's uh, uh, bad people from the past, and now we move to um, topic number two, which is uh, listening to music in lockdown. Pauline. 
Yes, uh, listening actually, not just to music, but to the world in lockdown. I think I've been, of course, now that we're on our second year, into our second year of lockdown, um, it's something I've been noticing even from the previous year of lockdown is that um, I'm listening to everything more attentively. And I, I wonder if that's something that the world has experienced. And I think the world has somehow, our soundscape or the sound, the acoustic ecology of the world has shifted a little bit with worldwide lockdown and pandemic. I mean, in, in certain ways, of course, there's a kind of silence and hush that has fallen over some of our cities, um, uh, some of the busyness when we are in lockdown. That's definitely a new experience um, of sound. Um, I think many of us also perhaps are waking up again or realizing again the sounds of nature because we suddenly hear um, or are more aware of the birds singing outside a window. I certainly am. I, it's definitely every day when I wake up, I'm a little bit more aware of the of the sound outside my window. Um, don't know if that's just me or if that's an experience that others are having as well. But but even I think we are. There's a kind of silence that is falling um, within our realm of, of inner listening, but we're also perhaps attuning ourselves more to to conversations. I think I'm becoming more attentive to conversations and more appreciative of one-on-one -on -one conversations during um, this time when we can't actually meet in person. And I think that's something that others are perhaps experiencing with the emergence of things like Clubhouse and Twitter spaces and all those this new sites of, of live audio conversations. But also I think there's, there's, new, there's new sounds that have kind of come into our audio scapes that have become more familiar, like the sirens that we hear every day. I'm hearing a lot more sirens, definitely. This is just the sirens of the pandemic. Also things like at one time, particularly I think last year in the early weeks of the lockdown, I think people started to express themselves with um, appreciation for health workers by things like clapping or, or cheering from their balconies and, and that kind of thing. Also in other parts of the world, singing from their, from their balconies, uh, like we saw in Italy and places like that as, as kind of signs of trying to connect and trying to also um, express something during this time of crisis. So for me, the art of listening is something, of course, music too. I have been listening more to music, for sure. Um, I wonder how or if our, what we listen to is changing during pandemic. For me, I think it has a little bit. I'm I, I realize I'm listening a bit less to world music and I'm listening more to things from past, actually. Like music that has comforted me during a certain time of my life and music that I'm really familiar with or music that I feel so comfortable with that Perhaps I'm looking for a kind of uh, comfort in something familiar, for sure. And I'm going back to things like Velvet Underground, um, Leonard Cohen, who's perennial. Yeah, Suede, who I listened to, who was like, you know, <laughs> kind of my, my soundscape for a long time. David Bowie as well, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think our listening has certainly shifted a little bit. And I'm wondering if that's something that both of you have experienced as well. I, I would ask the question, though, I think... Um... It depends if you are experiencing lockdown on your own or with one other person or with like an entire family. That's very true. Yeah, absolutely. It's like solitary confinement. You, you know, you, your senses do become heightened. But I, I have to say the other day mm. I, went, I went out and, mm. and I got very quite panicked almost because I was hearing a lot of sirens. Yeah. yeah. And um, it was not something I had ever really been aware of before. Mm -hmm. I mean, on one short drive, three sirens going past me. And it wasn't police either. It was ambulances. Um, yeah. And that really struck me as being a different sound. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right, you said? I mean, I've found myself in these past two years listening more to podcasts and conversations mm-hmm. than music. You know, partly because I, I used to listen to music a lot when I commute, when I drive, when I go out. You know, and then uh, for me, music has a very unique way of putting me in a specific mood. You know, so if I was going out at night to meet my friends to party, you know, I play a specific kind of music. If I'm going to work, so you know, all that accompanied me. But now that I don't commute as much, you know, you're mostly at home. I find myself uh, steering more towards listening to podcasts, and most of these podcasts aren't the really producey, newsy type one. It's more just two dudes talking, you know, an interview, and it's a conversation. And you know, I find myself enjoying it not not only because I do enjoy the conversation, but partly I think because, uh, and it's similar. I think my friends, my circle, also are feeling the same way. I think because you you do miss that background sound of people talking. You do miss that kind of like that, you know, um, that that relationship that you form or that relationship that you see uh, observe about just people talking conversing and it's a feeling that i think maybe people miss at the same time the supply has also come out you know more and more people are doing podcasts so you know it it just changed away from like a a mood escaping kind of thing to a more of like just comforting where like i just want to listen to people talk you know i don't have to listen yeah. to the whole thing i don't have to pay, pay attention but i just want that kind of like background or you know so i listen to podcasts when i'm like cleaning my room or you know yeah. uh, cooking or something like that and and, and it's nice and you just it's enjoyable and comforting to some level but that has been changed i mean you know i think spotify did that whole one year review thing and you know like 2020 and 2019 the difference for me was like you know a shift yeah. from music straight to conversation so right interesting yeah it's, yeah it's changed in that way for me but i do also think that you do pick up on these other outside of your listening habits these other things these other kind of like the cues and conversations with your family with your friends you know things that you maybe probably when you were in a more busier period of your life where you were rushing from one place to another, you tend to miss. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually, I, I, I've actually not been listening to much music mm. per se, but I have mm-hmm. spent a lot of time uh, watching music on YouTube where yeah. it's like tutorials about, um, you know, what, what actually makes music, oh, um, the structure of music and um, oh. sort of learning about music theory. Oh, interesting! Wow. Yeah, sort of like really breaking it down and trying to work yeah. out, you know, what is what is it that I like about? Why do I like James Brown? What's what's mm-hmm. going on? You know, <laughs> because um, you have more time to think about something. You know, now that you're mm. either by yourself or just in a more solitude, like you know, like Pauline said, you know, you, you, that inner listening. And then when yeah. you get deep enough, you also start asking questions like, oh, why do I like this? Or what's this about? You know, and then you can become curious and you seek it out. Yeah, but yeah. can I ask uh, Pauline? We, we, we mm-hmm. must, um, you know, wrap mm-hmm. up this topic. Mm-hmm. But can I just ask? You also talked about how music uh, being involved in, you know, when you're writing and when you're translating. Yeah, actually, not so much music, but actually just listening. Because I think when I, particularly when I translate, I'm actually trying to listen to the text and trying to listen to. So it's not actually a diff, another um, sort of music scape that I'm listening to while I translate. I mean, sometimes I do that, but very often not. I find it distracting. So very often I'm not listening to any music, but I'm listening to the text that I'm translating. And I, I always think that active listening is actually very central to my practice of writing and my practice of translation. I mean, I think it's more essential than sometimes things like inspiration or, you know, those kinds of things that you think are um, are essential elements. For me, actually, no, it's, it, I need a lot of quiet. I mean, really, I do creative work after midnight, only after midnight, because that's the quietest time I can find. 
And sometimes it depends on what I'm doing, but sometimes I go till, till dawn because really I, that's when I can get a stretch of quietness um, so that I can hear myself and, and mm. hear the text. Uh, I, I agree with the silence. Uh, I've been getting yeah. up at like 1.30 in the morning to, to, right. to work. Yeah, because, great. You know, well, well, partly because we have, because um, my wife is working from home, so... Yeah. And she's doing Zoom conversations all day long. So it's yeah, the only right. silence I can get. But same with me and my sister. If my sister's home, she is on all kinds of calls all the time. So, so after yeah. midnight is when I okay. have my time. Well, I, 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 won't, I won't tell her about your complaints. <laughs> um, so, uh, but we move on. And uh, in a moment, um, we're going to be asking the question, where were you when you became nostalgic? Here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Raslan, uh, Pauline Fan, and Sim Weeboon. And now, Sim, where, where were you when you became nostalgic? I was at home. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's, it's more of a question of when, I think. Uh, you know, why I stumbled on this topic is just, uh, I was thinking, I'm, I'm trying to differentiate also at the same time, is it also because of this pandemic in these past two years? But, you know, I want to know, or I want to ask you guys, like, when do you think that you guys started being nostalgic? You know, I think... I believe that, or at least I feel that, you know, I think every person growing up at a young age, you, it's not that you're rebellious, but you seek out new music, new art, new cuisines, new experiences, right? There's always a, and then you, I would say you reject the older stuff, but you're like, you know, no, nah, not, not this one. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to this new music that I like, you know, keep on going. But you reach a point where you kind of like, hmm, this new stuff not for me. I want to go back to the older stuff, stuff that I'm familiar with, stuff that's more comforting, you know. So, I, but I'm curious, you know, when does that happen? You know, does that happen when you're in your early 20s, late 20s, 30s, 40s? Maybe it's different from every other people. Like I'm 30 years old this year and it's been leading up to this. The past few years, I've been less active in looking for new music and looking for new movies. But, you know, now I've reached a point where I'm just re-watching all the movies, all the TV shows. I still watch newer stuff, but I'm not as hungry as I was before. And it, that includes music as well. You know, I'm listening to the music that I was listening to when I was 20. But I also don't know if this is because of the pandemic and I miss going out, I miss going to the concerts or, or is it because, yeah, I'm getting old, you know? Uh, and there's also a resurgence of new music that sound like old music, you know? New pop artists are coming out with pop punk tracks that you would mistake for something out of early 2000s, you know? New uh, I mean, even in Hollywood, they're just remaking all the movies, remaking all the stories. So, you know, is is this nostalgia just unique to an age person, to a person, or is it just everyone's feeling nostalgic? So, I'm curious about that. Mm. I mean, uh, well, Sim, Sim, I'm smiling so much that the muscles on my face are actually aching. Um, <laughs> because not so long ago, I was having a conversation with you and some other young people. And I, I know I can't remember what you were talking about, like you know, rage against the machine or right said Fred. I mean, I, I can't really remember, but it was like, and I was I was nodding knowingly, trying to cover up my tracks. And then you stopped and said, "You don't know what rage against the machine is, do you?" <laughs> oh my God, can you? You don't? I, I can't remember quite what it was, but I was like, "Yeah, no, of course it is. It's a video. It's a video game." Um, and, and, and you all laughed at me. And, <laughs> so this is great, Pauline. Are you a nostalgic kind of person? Definitely. Definitely, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Suede, Velvet Underground. Of course, my parents had always been listening to like the Beatles and all this. But when I discovered it for myself, it was something else. There was a period of my life when I was maybe 17. I just fell in love with John Lennon. And he was my ultimate, you know, um, idola, Jajaka Idaman um, crush. So 
when you discover things for yourself, sometimes even if it's old, I think it's, it feels new and it feels like, you know, this is or the doors as well. And the doors were something new, even though it wasn't that new um, when I was growing up. But I think by the time I was perhaps 20, 25, 27, I started definitely to slow down in terms of what I was seeking out in terms of newness. Uh, I think, and then I think I was, because I was listening to more to things like jazz as well. So I think it was going back also, not just nostalgic for what I used to listen to, but just things more in the past. And I started to listen to things like from the Weimar era Berlin and things like that. So it's all kind of music from the past. Yeah, I, I think my, my musical journey is very similar then to, to Pauline's. Mm. I would say I, I can actually, I can actually um, spot the exact moment when I did become nostalgic. It was, I think it was 1993. And, uh, I was too usual. <laughs> and I was about 27 or something. And, and I, yeah. I was invited to a party and, and people were saying, oh, it'll be really cool. We're, going, we're, we're playing drum and bass. And, um, <laughs> and I really, I don't laugh. I was there, you weren't. And... Uh, <laughs> I wish I was there. You weren't even born. <laughs> and, and, I, and it was the first time I'd heard of a musical genre that, that I'd never heard of before kind of thing. I, I should know this. And I turned up and I listened to it. And it, and, and it was like, it, drum and bass, it had neither drums nor bass. And it was terrible. And I was like, I suddenly, I found myself standing in the middle. Like, you know, I was looking forward to sort of like jigging my head from side to side. And, yeah. and I was like, it's not like in my day. In my day, you know, we had, we had actual drums and actual basses. Um, and so, yeah, that was what happened. But I definitely, I was very cool and happening. And I used to pick up on all the trends and then I stopped. I just stopped. Oh, I've seen old photos of you. So, yeah, definitely very cool. Uh, no, sepia, oh, were they? Um, <laughs> but there's also a phenomenon where I've met people that are nostalgic for an era that they have not lived. Yeah, me. I knew, oh, I knew for me that, too. Yeah. I know 20, 20, like twenty-year-olds that are nostalgic for like the sixties, or like oh, I wish yeah. I was. Yeah. You know that whole, I was born in the wrong era. Yes, yes. Uh, kind of, and I, and that always. I mean, I'm always curious about it. Now. How do you, how do you kind of walk into that? You know, how do you come into that conclusion? You know, and it's always very interesting because I've not felt like that. You know, I don't feel like I'm born in the wrong era. I do say, I do say, like I do miss the early two thousands when I was younger, less tired much slimmer and all but you know i don't feel like i was born in the wrong era but there are people that are you know they really do feel like they're born in, and that's reflected in the the music they listen to the movies they consume the art they they they, they like you know and i find that to be quite interesting because you're only 18 why are you missing the 70s well i, I for me i think that i did have older brothers um and they weren't around but they left their records around Mm. Um, and so I was listening to things which I, I wouldn't normally have bumped into, like Steely Dan. Mm, mm, mm. And uh, and so yeah, I'm I'm nostalgic for the '70s when I was really not doing much, and um, and, and really specifically, almost like the years 1976, 1977. It's like it's very, it's, like, it's very quiet. <laughs> so specific. Quite, quite narrow, yeah. Oh, uh, Just before I was born, Cam. <laughs> Don't lie, surely. <laughs> no, really. Oh my God. I was born in 78. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I don't think I'm, I don't think I was born in the wrong era, but I do think that I would feel completely at home in the 1920s, perhaps. Particularly, and where, maybe, where? maybe even 30s. In Weimar Berlin would be fantastic. <laughs> I mean, before the Nazis came to power. So like pre, between the wars, between World War One and and before the Nazis came to power. As, as you, as as Pauline Fan. 
well, who knows as what, but you know, I mean, um, I would feel at home, at least in my imagined, how I imagined Weimar Berlin and what I know of it and all those things that I love. It's just that I love the literature from that time. I love the music from that time. I love the visual art from that time. And I think I love something about the, the spirit of, of particularly the cultural life during that time. Right? I, mean, I think it was just so kind of, it was bold. It was kind of wild. Um, it was quite fearless. It was rebellious. It was all those things, um, and it was really good music. I mean, I'm, I'm just such a romance. So there was a period, time. like I said, maybe around like 27, 28. I, I was listening a lot to. Um, it was also the time I was kind of studying German. I was listening a lot to music of that era um, in Germany, and and it was very diverse. I mean, it's not just the kind of um, cabaret music that that many of us maybe, we know maybe Kurt Weill and, and Beto Brecht, that kind of, um, some of their songs, but there was an entire, um, there was an entire milieu of people who, fantastic musicians from, even from Eastern Europe who fled to, or who migrated to Berlin and it became a kind of center of, and Berlin tango has a different kind of character to it. You know, it's all, it's very, very interesting. Um, and then many of them of course had to, they had to flee after the Nazis came to power. Hmm. But yeah. you, so, Sim, are you, fee are you sensing uh, you don't have a nostalgia for a time you weren't there? What, what is your nostalgia then? Well, um, I guess, you know, maybe it's not a specific period of time, but I'm nostalgic for myself when I was younger. You know, mm. when I was in my early 20s, maybe like 10 years ago. Um, again, you know, like, I don't know if this is because I'm getting older, or is it because this past two years has just been so frustrating you know so i just want to reverse the clock and go back to a time that i felt like i didn't have to worry about all of that but either way i do feel that way you know i do listen to the music that i was really into at that age and it's some at some level it was comforting i'm watching tv shows and you know i've just recently found out that they remade gossip girls you know a show that was out when i was in my early 20s you know so i'm it's so it's, it struck me as like wow okay it's it's is is somehow like time moving backwards? Is pop culture moving backwards, or is this like so? It's it's a very curious thing, and um, yeah, I'm I'm I I do I'm curious to see how it turns out. But at this point in time, I'm still gonna be playing back my old music and watching back my old shows, which yeah, I think is you know interesting to some other people as well. Well, uh, Sim, I I welcome you with open arms to the old people's uh, <laughs> section. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the club <laughs> welcome to the club if you turn up early things are much cheaper and, and there's there's so many seats available and um and we, we will i'll teach you how to smoke a pipe and okay. um and say baharu and um <laughs> to spell kampong with an o and things like that it's um it's uh it, it's great the journey ahead of you although you will um yeah you'll get up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet a lot but uh, no, this is fabulous. And so uh, we move on, though, to uh, the final part of the show, our recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest. And, and I go first. So um, earlier I was talking about Richard Wagner and his operas. He, he wrote many operas, uh, including a thing called The Ring Cycle, which is four operas. Each opera was about a week long. And um, it's, uh, so it's not an easy thing to, to get into. But uh, so I'd recommend uh, the thing that actually got me into uh, listening to Wagner, which was a movie called Excalibur. Um, I know Excalibur. I watched oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very good film. Um, yes. Director was John Borman. It stars, amongst other people, Helen Mirren. And Helen Mirren. And a young um, 
uh, Liam Neeson in the background. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, it's it's about the the story of King Arthur, but it's done you know not for laughs or anything, but but real uh, a real romance, and it's it's beautifully done, and lots of uh, Wagner music and 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 music by other people who inspired fascism, <laughs> and <laughs> or, or who were yeah. themselves actual fascists, so uh, proto fascists or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a really, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, I thought it was a beautiful film. And maybe now if you watched it, you'd find it a bit clunky, but I, I, I think it's really I enjoyed cool. it. Yeah. I, enjoy- I can't remember who played the character of Morgana, but I liked Morgana. Morgana, that's Helen Mirren. Was that Helen Mirren? No wonder. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. liked Morgana. Morgana became my, my heroine for a while. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and so uh, my, my recommendation is the movie Excalibur available. At your 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 local video store. Um, <laughs> Netflix. Actually, that is something I'm nostalgic for. I'm nostalgic for those video stores. I used to watch a lot of films like that, going yeah. to the little video store yeah. and someone to and, and <laughs> rent it. Yeah, absolutely. It. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I I am going to recommend. So I have just completed two weeks ago. I completed writing a long essay about an artist who lives in Malaysia but is originally from Germany. And she will be having an exhibition at Cult Gallery, uh, which is run by uh, the artist Zaki Anwar and his wife, Suryani Sanjalias. So they've been putting together a, a big and important exhibition of, of the work of Ilse Noor, who is um, an artist who was born in Germany, and she's about 80 now. But she's lived in Malaysia and has been working in Malaysia since the 70s. An incredible artwork. She, is, um, she does etching and... Honestly, I mean, before I had, before I wrote about her and before I really got into her work, I'd seen some of her work, but getting to know her work, she's, in, she's a master etcher and she's a master um, printmaker. And to me, even I think she has a special place in, in the kind of, as a printmaker, even in the line of, of the great German printmakers of the, of the 20th century and, and now, of course if and when this exhibition opens. Um, it's called Creation by Ilse Noor. I really hope that at some point it can, we can actually have a physical exhibition, but I would really recommend that everyone who can um, go and see it. Possibly there'll be some kind of online um, element to it as well, but, or just go and check out her work. Um, she has a website and she has a little gallery online um, showing some of her work. She's an incredible artist. And, and many of the themes actually draw from things like Malay mythology, um, kind of dreamscapes, um, landscapes, uh, with incredible technique. Mm. Yeah, so I, I highly, highly recommend her work. So her name again? Ilse Noor, I L S E N O O R. Yes. How come I, I never? You, I mean, I've never heard. You've of never heard. Go look her up, Karen. She's an incredible artist. Yeah, yeah. very, very fascinating. Okay. Um, okay. So and uh, uh, Sim, old man. Uh, what, what do you got? What do you got from from your uh, yesteryear? Well, I'm, I'm recommending a podcast that I recently discovered. Uh, I thought it was really cool, and it's by a very cool person as well. It's called Are We on Air? So A R A R E W E on Air. Yeah, you know that. So it's by this guy called Arman Nafi. He is the director of ambiance for the Chateau Momon Hotel in L.A., which I thought itself was a very cool job to have. But you know, um. He's Persian-born, moved to Berlin at a young age, lived there, and now he lives in LA. But what I like is the the podcast is um is a music podcast. But what struck me was the guests that he has. You know, it ranges from like Patti Smith to Marina 
Abramovich to Dua Lipa uh-huh. to Maisie Williams. So, you know, Wolfgang Tillmans and all. And it's really about kind of like the soundtrack of their life. So he talks, and these are all his personal friends. So, you know, he talks to them about like, you know, what's the earliest musical memory you have? You know, Ooh. if you had a song playing your funeral, what was it? And if he talks to like musicians, he'd be like, you know, he'd be asked, like, you know, why did this music, why was the music like that? If he talks to like directors, he'd be like, you know, like what is the, what is the, it's, it's, it's not exactly a dissection, but it's more of like just two friends talking about music. And, you know, it's nice in a way where there's some that are like 20 minutes, so it's very easy to listen to. There's some that are really long for about an hour. So I do recommend it. Um, he, they, they also talk about their life, their experiences. And because the, like a lot of the guests are already personal friends, so they kind of like talked about the occurrences in his life that they've experienced together. So it's, it's a very nice insight in and window into these really iconic celebrities or stars or artists up and why or who they are but define true music or, you know, tr- themed true music, which I thought was very interesting. So what's it called again? Are We On Air? Mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So there's um, two, about 40 over episodes now, you know, season mm. we just wrapped it up. So yeah, it's very interesting. Just, yeah, I do, I do recommend it. It's on Spotify? It's on Spotify. You can find it on the website and all mm-hmm. that. Great. And you can, you can tell that like this, the, the whole Armand, he is like a true music lover and he is knowledgeable about music, you know, he, at times, you even correct the the pronunciation of names of the <laughs> artists you know, when it's French or anything. You know, and he's interviewed like poets and everything. So it's, yeah. Oh, it's, no. Yeah. Well, that, that Marmont Hotel um, was the music hotel where all, mm. all the musicians stayed back in the 70s, back yeah. in my day. Back uh, in your day, of course. <laughs> hey, um, hey, before we before we uh, we uh, leave you, Sim, can you just tell us very quickly, what, what were the sounds of your youth? What, what were the, the music? Um, street boys and stuff isn't it? no not really i mean yeah i did listen to them but i think the one that i would uh that i i still uh, cling on to is this is the, the the pop punk sound you know bands like bling 182 i want to say angsty but you know all these like kind of like fast riffy melodic punkish sounds you know even locally as well you know local bands like one buck short like that you know so these kind of sounds that are like when I listened to it, I was like, whoa, this is so cool. And like, I listened to it daily, hourly. So I guess mm. if you want to say sounds of my youth, these were the bands that I really grew up with. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the sound of my kind of youth would be like Duran Duran and stuff, which I don't actually yeah. listen to. I love Duran Duran still, but I never listen to them now. Yeah. Uh, and, and Pauline, you've said suede. What else? Oh yeah, it's definitely suede. Um, for a while it was, Definitely the, some of those grunge bands like Alice in Chains I liked, Soundgarden, some of those bands uh, for sure. Um, who else was I listening to? But then again, uh, like I said, some of it was also discovering older bands like the Velvet Underground. I loved the Velvet Underground. When I discovered them, it was like, and then the Violent Femmes, those people like that. Um, mm. But yeah, some of them, some of whom I can listen to now still, like Suede, I can still listen to. Early Suede, the first two albums. After that, I think they went a bit pop. But the first two albums to me are just still great. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah. Before we, before we uh, wrap up, um, uh, Pauline, did you want to uh, mm. tell us how's the, the Georgetown Literary Festival coming along? It's coming along slowly but surely. Um, I can't reveal the theme yet because we're still a little bit, we're still refining. But it will be online again, mostly probably all online, but we're still holding up with the possibility of perhaps having a physical or hybrid workshop, at least on that weekend, because it's late November. So we still don't know what the situation is going to be like, but, but the majority of the program will be online. However, 
I think one one exciting thing that we are going to do this year is to, um, we are going to do a little publication, actually. So I think we're all kind of longing for something tactile. If we can't gather physically, I, all the curatorial team was really thinking that we should do something tactile. And the publication is at least a tactile gathering space of sorts where we can gather different voices and writers. Um, so it's called Moira, which is estuary in Malay. And it's going to be a bilingual um, publication, both in English and Malay. We're inviting um, people to write. We're also reflecting because it is a 10 year mark for the festival. It's, we've, we actually passed the 10 year mark last year, but we couldn't really celebrate. So, so we're marking it with the publication this year. Right. Yes. Great, great. How do we keep posted on this? Because I know the website doesn't really... Well, not yet, but as soon as things are firmed up a little bit more, we'll start announcing things on our social media pages, Instagram, as well as Facebook. Um, and yeah, soon enough, things will be announced. <laughs> mm. Oh, well, good, yes. good. Look forward to that. And so that brings us to the end of uh, this week's episode of A Bit of Culture. Actually, Pauline, I really want to know, how would you say A Bit of Culture in German? Good Lord. Ein bisschen Kultur. I, like, I love that. Ein, Stor, ein Stück Kultur, which is like a piece of culture, maybe. All right, all right, we're going to yeah. rename it. Uh, ein Stück Kultur. I'm going to do the show entirely in German next time, okay? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, thank you so much, uh, Sim Weibun. Thank you for having me. And Pauline Fan. Pleasure. Oh. So please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on uh, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.